Welcome to EnviroPod, a chance to catch up with all the good things your Department of Public Works and Environmental Services does to maintain and improve the environment in Fairfax County. I'm your host, Bob DeMarco, and on this edition of the podcast, I'm speaking with Joanne Allen, Pest Management Branch Chief, Urban Forest Management Division. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. It's great to see you again. Thank you. I know that's a, it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful for me. So, <laughs> uh, We're here to talk today about an invasive species here in Fairfax County called the spotted lanternfly. Now, I've heard a little bit about this here and there, some of the other podcasts I read, um, but we talked a little bit about this. You introduced the concept to, to the county a year and a half ago. Um, what is the spotted lanternfly and why should we be concerned? Well, I think at this point, if you haven't heard about the spotted lanternfly, you just are living under a rock because it's out there in the media. It's been on SNL skits. It's been on late not late night talk shows. It's it's everywhere. But for those who may not be as uh, connected with the media, uh, this is an invasive uh, insect uh, native to Asia, so areas like China and India, and it's our latest invasive species that's really just impacting the environment. It was first found in Pennsylvania in 2014 and since then has spread to several states in the, in the Mid-Atlantic and even now it's uh, found in parts of the Midwest. And it goes after various plant species that impact both residential and agricultural areas. How did it find its way to the middle of the Pennsylvania? Um, I believe it, it came in on imported materials from its native uh, area, probably China. And it was first found in Berks County, Pennsylvania. And the unfortunate thing about spotted lanternfly is that it, it's, it's very resourceful. It's a great hitchhiker. It can lay eggs on any surface. Um, it really likes rusted metal but it can also lay its eggs on concrete blocks, on vehicles, on tires, on basically trees, anything. And so when you have uh, commerce where people are moving around plant materials or building materials or anything like that, you can, either the eggs or the nymphs or the adult stages of its life can be found on those materials and it can move around. So it's been found on... Uh, commercial trucks, trains, um, automobiles everywhere. So, and they are very good at laying eggs and multiplying. So that's that's how it's uh, really spread around. You brought some uh, samples of uh, spotted lanternflies in the various stages of their life, and also um, what their egg mass looks like. And it looks like bark. There's a little piece of wood here, and it just looks like bark. So how is someone supposed to, um, well, find the egg mass and then identify? Actually, it's kind of beautiful to look at. It, it Actually, that's an old one, too. When it, I think, so in that postcard that I, I gave you, it, when it first lays its eggs, it's actually kind of like shiny. It looks like wet mud or wet clay almost. Mm -hmm. Um you know, it 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 is it's it's difficult to an untrained eye to find an egg mass. Now, um, Virginia and several other states have quarantines for the spotted lanternfly because 
it can be transported so easily. Anyone that um, does business in the quarantine areas is supposed to get a permit. And so part of the permit is getting training to know what to look for, like what does an egg mask look like and what do you do if you were to find one in your uh, in the goods that you're transporting. Now, when I said uh, they look beautiful, I was actually referring to the older nymphs and the adults. Uh, they're, they're brightly colored red. The uh, older nymphs kind of look like angular ladybugs or something like that. Uh, is it... Has the horse already left the barn if you see the older nymphs and the adults, or, or should you really just be looking for the egg masses? Well, really, um, it depends on the time of year. So um, in the summer, that's that's nymph time. You know, that's when the nymphs are out, and uh, these uh, insects are considered leaf hoppers or plant hoppers. Sorry, plant hoppers. Um, I'm, I'm sure I upset an entomologist somewhere out there. <laughs> um, they're uh, plant hoppers, and... They, like their name, uh, you know, would, would lead you to believe they hop really well. They're not easy to find, but uh, they like to hide underneath uh, trees and plants and leaves. And that's what you'd be looking for in the spring, summertime. Now, when they first hatch out in April, they're teeny tiny little black specks. So unless you're really into looking for insects, you probably wouldn't notice it unless mm. um, you see a whole bunch of them in one tree or one plant. But as they get bigger, they're more noticeable. They're more colorful. And that's what you'd really be looking for in the July, August time are the nymphs. And then they turn into adults, which then they become much bigger. And they're very uh, charismatic, very nice looking. And uh, the adults are out until November because it gets too cold for the for really most insects to, to be out once, um, once, uh, once freezing temperatures are, are here. And that's that's the, that's basically what you're, looking, what you're looking for. And then the egg masses, mostly looking for that in the fall winter time. So the egg masses over winter, they are not impacted by cold temperatures. Sadly, mm. you can have like sub zero temperatures and they're fine. Wow. Um, they're just hibernating there. But if you were suspecting that you may have a problem with spotted lanternfly. Um, egg masses are not a bad thing to look for. And then if you were to find them, you can just scrape them. You can scrape whatever you find. Well, what kind of damage does the spotted lantern fly do to plants? And what, is it certain trees like the emerald ash borer, or is it more of an equal opportunity <laughs> destroyer? I, uh, well, so what's understood about spotted lantern fly is that it can have um, up to 70 different plant species that it can feed on. So that can include common trees that you would find in your neighborhood, like maples or walnuts. Um, also grapevines. They love grapevines. So you find those in residential but also agricultural areas. So like our the numerous vineyards that we have here in Virginia are at risk because of the spotted lanternfly. Um, they also go after smaller um, plants that you might find around your house and um, also agricultural plants, so like hops or um, orchards are also at risk for uh, the damage that they cause, um, like apples or, or peaches. So the the way that they inflict damage is it is two different ways. There's the feeding damage, which certain plants are very uh, sensitive to, like grapevines are very sensitive to just like the um, 
the feeding that they do. So they what they have is they have piercing, sucking mouth parts. Yeah. I know. That doesn't sound – I don't even like saying it. <laughs> um, so they'll take their mouthpiece and insert it into like a woody small stem part of a plant and then suck out the sap or the whatever liquid is in the plant. And some plants are very sensitive to that. Also, um, once they're done feeding, like all other living organisms, they have waste. And their waste is called honeydew. Well, that's really I know, that's flattering. <laughs> <laughs> if only everyone could have honeydew. <laughs> that would be a much nicer way to have to excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. Excuse me, I have some honeydew I had to excrete. Anyway, sorry. So the honeydew is then released from the from the, both the nymphs and the adults. And uh, that's a, that honeydew has a very high sugar content. And what it does is it produces something called sooty mold. And so that develops at once the once the honeydew is released on the plant, on the leaves, on the tree, and that can weaken and kill some some plants. I, so none of this sounds positive, and I can't imagine that in their native environment uh, they must fill a role. But uh, do they fill a role as destroyer and pest there, or are you know how? It's just interesting to me um, yes. from, from your scientific perspective. How does a species go from one place where it's useful and then come somewhere else and just lay waste? So where it's native to, it has controls. Like like most uh, species, most living things in a natural environment, there's uh, there's limits to to a species population. So whether that be predators, whether that be access to food, access to shelter, all those things. Um, interestingly, where it's native to, um, it has something in common to a different invasive species here. So, um, its most preferred host, and I I apologize for not mentioning this earlier, is a tree in an invasive tree called Tree of Heaven, which also happens to be native to China. So, um, it has, you know... Uh, Tree of Heaven was introduced to North America in the 1700s purposefully as like a a landscape tree. And um, several hundred years later, (laughs) uh, Spotted Lanternfly was introduced. And um, it's now just living very happily here, uh, feeding on its preferred host. So um, that's a, a double whammy here where you have two invasive species um, interacting at the same time. So one of the strategies that we're trying to do with Spotted Lanternfly to minimize the impact it may have here in Fairfax County is removing tree of heaven from the landscape. So on county properties, we've inventoried um, tree of heaven all across the county and are working with other departments um, within within the county government to see if we can remove those trees so that they don't have, spotted lanternfly doesn't have as big of an impact and encouraging others who have tree of heaven to remove it from their properties. They are beautiful trees, and um, I used to see them all over New York City. They grow between, they, they'll come up between two, uh, two planks of uh, concrete on the sidewalk, and they'll just keep growing and disrupt everything. They're amazing. They are amazing. Maybe we don't share the reasons why we think they're amazing, but yes, they are amazing. They're very adaptable. They can grow anywhere. Interestingly, 
Um, so th- oh, there is a book that was written about the tree of heaven. Um, I think it's a tree that grows in Brooklyn. I think that's oh, a tree grows in Brooklyn. A tree yeah. grows in Brooklyn. Yeah. So when Tree of Heaven was introduced to the New York City area, it was done so because I guess people would have to keep their windows open in the summertime just to you know regulate temperatures in their house. But there was issues of bugs coming in, and so what they did was they re- would remove the native trees and replace them with Tree of Heaven because nothing really, no insects. <laughs> Use Tree of Heaven as a source of food or for or for um, shelter. So that was like a it was like a bug a pest control method. Wow, interesting. Uh, probably advanced thinking for the time and place. You know, that's resourceful. What, resourceful. That's probably more the <laughs> more the word. But kind of hilariously uh, diametrically opposed to strategies. <laughs> now, speaking of strategies, um, earlier you told me. Uh, you started to tell me a very interesting, um, intriguing strategy that you have in mind or that is being implemented against the um, uh, against the spotted lanternfly. Uh, tell us about that. Um, so, yeah, so we have for with, was it with spotted lanternfly or emerald ash borer? I can't remember. Oh, oh, per- maybe it was the emerald <laughs> ash borer. Tell me about the wasps. <laughs> yes. So. um we were discussing um, how not to feel hopeless when you're dealing with all various invasive species that you know seem to be attacking all sorts of things in our in our natural environment. So, um, generally, with invasive species, um, researchers and scientists try to find various methods of management and control. So, one common uh, resource is the use of biocontrol agents. So, since inv- uh, one reason why invasive species are such an issue. Um, is because they don't have those population controls. So one of those population controls that can be introduced are predators. So that is actually something that is being researched currently for spotted lanternfly. Unfortunately, nothing has been found uh, to be um, very useful, but research is ongoing. But other um, invasive species, they have had found success. So one example is... Um, predatory wasps that are being released for the emerald ash borer. So we, um, Fairfax County, along with other agencies like Virginia Department of Forestry, other state um, agencies and federal agencies are utilizing uh, predator wasps, so various species, not just one, and don't ask me to pronounce what their scientific names are because I can't. (laughs) (laughs) But there are currently... uh, Three wasps that are being reared in laboratories and, and USDA facilities that are being released in various parts of the country that are be, in, a, in, a, in hopes to try to reduce the population of emerald ash borer so that ash trees can recover in areas that have been just heavily impacted by the emerald ash borer. Um, it's estimated that millions of ash trees have died across the country due to the emerald ash borer. And so the predatory wasps are an effort to try to restore um, forests and landscapes that used to have ash trees. Uh, Ash is so valuable, too. We use it for baseball bats and um, handle, uh, you know, hammer hafts and all sorts of hardwood and all sorts of applications. And it's beautiful. Um, 
These wasps, though, you were talking about these wasps. I'm kind of fascinated. They're hunter killers. We'll we'll call them what they are. They're they're going after. And this is this is something that you're doing for the emerald ash borer that you're investigating this kind of avenue for the spotted lanternfly. I find it fascinating. Yes. Um, but are these wasps that are created in a lab? You know, by they're reared in a lab. So okay. that's not Frankenstein. Okay. All right. <laughs> what does reared in a lab exactly mean? Just um, like raised. Born and raised there? Yeah, like or? a little nursery. Okay. Like a little, yeah, like a, a happy a happy little uh, environment. So It's where they train them. They say, and when you get out of here, <laughs> you're going to go look for these spotted it, lanterns. It's, actually, it's very difficult and expensive to, to raise these insects. And so they basically they have adults that, that breed, lay eggs. They raise the eggs and then release um, various different life stages to cooperators like Fairfax County to put them in places that have been found that may be able to support those parasitic wasps so that they can start feeding on the emerald ash borer. So like, for example, we ha- there's one wasp called Obius. So that's an egg parasite. It goes after the egg of the emerald ash borer. Oh, wow. And then the other two... Um, parasitic wasps, Spathius and Tetrasticus, um, those go after the larval stages of the emerald ash borer. And so um, the the adults, the adult versions of the stages of those uh, of those wasps will try to find the larva of the emerald ash borer, lay their eggs in in the larva, and then those wasps will develop inside the larva of the emerald ash borer, and then that will that will kill them. God, that's brutal. It, it, it it's very, pretty cool, but yes. Very cool, very interesting. I mean, you know, nature often is brutal, but uh, wow, that is very cool. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and it's also amazing to me that there are people, entomologists, who have figured this out and who have isolated these species and have figured out uh, what to how, how to employ them uh, and... You know, so hopefully the spotted lanternfly, it, the same research yields the same sort of success. Yes. Yeah, and, and when I say parasitic wasps, don't think like hornets. They're like they're tiny little things. They're like the size of a net. So they're not gonna hurt people. They go after small insects. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. That's a, actually that's a good point to make because it would be something to replace one species with one that like starts going after humans. No, so, yeah, no. Uh, no, 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 no. Good, good. <laughs> Good point to raise there. Um, so you have a map. You've brought a map. You brought a couple of things for me to look at here. But uh, there's a map of reported distribution of the spotted lanternfly. Now, I see it around, uh, uh, you know, a little bit around the Great Lakes. And what kind of threat are we dealing with here in um, Fairfax County? So um, as you can see in the map, we're surrounded by all sides. So um, officially, oh, right. that's us right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. officially, we do not have a um, an official population, a breeding population of spotted lanternfly. But unfortunately, we have found hitchhikers, um, spotted lanternflies that were brought in from other infested areas that were brought into Fairfax County, and since that includes adults that may be breeding and laying eggs. I suspect by next year we will probably be considered one of the counties that officially has spotted lanternfly. So um, what has been observed in other areas like Winchester, who has had 
an, an infestation of spotted lanternflies since 2018, the they will basically grow in numbers and people will start noticing them, especially on trees and plants that they really like. And it'll, it'll be a little messy. It'll be messy and... What I think is kind of cool, but other people might find horrifying. Um, kind of like the cicada, where you find a just a bunch of cicadas in, in one spot. The spotted lanternfly kind of has um, similar behavior. Well, well, they'll aggregate or they'll just kind of like show up on one tree, like hundreds of them, thousands of them, huh. all on one tree, just feeding at the same time, releasing honeydew and just making a, a giant mess. But then as soon as you see them, the next day they could... They can spread and go somewhere else. So that's one of the frustrations with spotted lanternfly and why they're so hard to manage is because they're very mobile. They'll stay in one. They'll be in one spot for a moment, but the next day or the next or a couple of days later, they'll they'll be gone. So it's hmm. a, it's a hard pest to to manage. But if we have information on how uh, folks can handle that issue on the county webpage, so that people can start doing their research and preparing on how they might try to eventually uh, manage future issues with spotted lanternfly. Okay, so they, they, they come in crowds, they bring friends. That's uh, unusual behavior, isn't it? Is, is that weird? It's social. It's like almost human. <laughs> oh. Everyone getting together to, to eat together. <laughs> yeah, no, it, well, again, I, I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, they, they have a tendency of liking to kind of just just think of like uh, the zebras and the Serengeti kind of just like running together as a pack across the the plains kind of the same same thing right or or uh, geese or other birds that migrate so animals do can have that behavior of getting together in one giant uh, group but then they'll scatter right like and a the, school and, of fish or yeah. Yeah, you know what? Best not to <clears throat> best not to make the spotted lantern fly warm and fuzzy and best not to compare it to these <laughs> other animals we like or even people because uh we have to eradicate them. Um <clears throat> any parting words on the spotted lantern fly uh how people should proceed a, a reminder that the winter does not kill these things off. Well, not the eggs. Um yes. So if you see anything that you think looks like a spotted lanternfly, um, you can report that to my office. We have a mailbox dedicated to that called report slf at fairfaxcounty.gov. You can also use a very fun uh, app called iNaturalist to report um, anything that you might think is spotted lanternfly. And the added bonus is that there's some creepy AI technology on the app that will actually identify what you're looking at. So you take a picture, it'll say, oh, this is spotted lanternfly. And then as soon as you post it, my office gets notified that a spotted lanternfly was identified in the area. So we already have those alerts um, figured out in our accounts. So that's another really cool uh, modern way that you can Yeah, that's an <laughs> amazing tool. Um, yes. and, and probably the least creepy application of AI I've heard in a long time. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's uh, another way it, it's, uh, it's great to live in this county. Uh, Joanne, thank you so much for coming on uh, EnviroPod and updating us on the spotted lanternfly situation in Fairfax County, which is, well, it's growing more dire by the day. But 
there are great minds at work to mitigate it, and uh, we all keep our eyes peeled. Uh, we'll beat this thing. Yes, just check out the website, and there's many options that are at your disposal for managing this pest. Thanks for listening to Enviropod. If you want to get more information on the Fairfax County Department of Public Works and Environmental Services and all that it does, go to fairfaxcounty.gov slash publicworks or call 703-324-5033. Weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Thanks again for joining us on Enviropod, which is produced by the Fairfax County Virginia Government.